How's everybody doing today? My name is Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today I'm going to be talking about what exactly we mean by allegorical sense or uh, interpreting scripture allegorically. Um, you might have heard it put as the quadrica or the fourfold sense of scripture or some call it the twofold sense of scripture. It goes under a lot of names and uh, my favorite is the the singular twofold sense of scripture, but uh, we'll get into that. And I realized uh, the reason I'm doing this topic particularly is I had a stream the other day. Uh, I think this was like, what, three or four days ago, something like that, where I, it was earlier this week, you know, I won't worry about it, where I went over uh, the objection to the uh, assumption of Our Lady uh, in its relationship between material sufficiency and the allegorical sense, not proving doctrine and blah, 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 went over all that. But I did spend a few minutes in the beginning explaining the exactly what the allegorical sense is, but I didn't go into much detail and I was, I was acting as a bad theologian. I wasn't setting um, a solid foundation for going off that argument. So I'm going to do that now. And you guys may, oh wait, before that, before I get right into it, don't, re don't remember. Why do I always say that? Do not forget, become a patron um, to get a bunch of stuff, uh, videos, articles, uh, free PDFs to, to books that I reprint, all the good stuff. And uh, even if you hate me, uh, it's still very economic choice um, because there's no limit. So if you want to give me a dollar a month, month and just get a bunch of, bunch of free stuff, then uh, worth a heck of a lot more than a dollar a month but i i appreciate anything even if you if you severely dislike me so there's that and uh if you want to become a better interpreter of scripture knowing greek's a good thing so um go to fluentgreeknt.com to be able to learn greek the net through the natural method uh use a code militant for 20 percent off and i will get right into it so i i should plug my mug I don't have it anywhere around me. And as I said before, I'm actually in my kitchen right now. So that's why the background looks um, womanish, not based and manly of a, of a wall with a bunch of uh, spackle on it, like a very manly wall like I usually have. I have this very feminine background right now. So you may wonder and, and say, well, I guess you're going to go to Summa Theologiae Prima Pars question one, article 10 on the allegorical sense. But you would be wrong if that is your conjecture. I'm actually going to be going to um, in Galatians uh, chapter four, lecture seven, number 252. That's where I will be going to explain this because he gives a really nice explanation uh, within his commentary on Galatians of this. This is yet another reason to not restrict yourself just to the Summa when you're reading um, St. Thomas. Where is it? There it is. Okay. There you go. Okay. So this is within um, the discussion of um, Hagar and Sarah about how it's an allegory. So starting in 253 up here, he says, therefore, these things which are written about the two sons are said by an allegory, i.e., so that is the understanding of one thing under the image of another. 
So basically speaking, um, if we're going to get what an allegory is in its most fundamental sense, so this is just bare bones definitions right here, and uh, he's going to revise this, obviously. So an allegory is understanding one thing under the image of another. So this just has to do with a sign and then a thing signified. So broadly speaking, there's a lot of things that are uh, quote allegories. A stop sign is an allegory. There's nothing inherent in a stop sign that uh, communicates stopping, but because it's a um, it's an artificial sign that we all have agreed upon means stop. Uh, one thing is signified under the image of another thing. So that would be broadly speaking an allegory. A painting would be an allegory. Um, written language would be all allegories, um, words, allegories. This is a very, very broad definition, as you can say. So he's going to um, go into a little bit more detail. For an allegory is a figure of speech or a manner of narrating in which one thing is said and something else is understood. Okay, he goes into a bit more detail. So this is a figure of speech. So now it's generally referring to words or a manner of narrating in which one thing is is said and something else is understood. So this is still very broad and he's going to nar uh, narrow it down a little bit more because for example, um, let's say that I said that the sun rose or that um, I'm trying to think of an idiom. Um, it was raining cats and dogs. That's an idiom, even though I hate animals. Uh, pets, fur babies, they're the worst. Uh, they're the bane of humanity. Just just have real babies, guys. So uh, if, if I said um, an idiomatic phrase, like it's raining cats and dogs, technically that would be one thing said and something else understood. So uh, this, again, is something very broad. Hence, allegories derive from alos, alien, and gauge, a leading, a leading, as it were, to a different understanding. So this is still very broad. So here it should be noted that allegory is sometimes taken for any mystical meaning, sometimes for only one of the four, which are the historical, allegorical, mystical, and the anagogical, which are the four senses of sacred scripture, all which differ in signification. So this is going to be very important. So historical, that's just the, the bare meanings of the word. Um, allegorical, that is... Um, and he uses mystical and allegorical. I'm, I'm assuming by mystical, he means um, moral. So uh, allegorical is going to be when a matter of faith is signified by the literal sense. Then mystical is going to be, I'm assuming it means moral, is going to be when a moral truth is signified by the literal sense. And anagogical is going to be when a matter of heaven is signified by the literal sense. But we still haven't gotten that uh, very strict definition of uh, what the heck an allegory is. So he's going to he's going to get into it right here in 254 because we're still pretty unclear because we've used very um, general language right here under the image of another um, a manner of narrating or figure of speech. So right now, a lot of things that aren't the mystical sense can be uh, or allegorical sense can be understood by allegory. But right down here in 254, he's going to say for signification is twofold. So, oh, we're getting into something better. So allegorical is a different mode of signification. So what the heck is signification? So um, remember back to our stop sign. Uh, that would be a, uh, an artificial mode of signification. You are uh, 
showing one thing by something else. That's generally speaking what signification is. So what is this twofold signification we're talking about? So one is through words and the other is through the things signified by the words. Okay, we're getting a little deeper here. So the first one is through words. So let's say you read um, dog. Dog is a uh, signification through words if it's um, if it's referring to the animal. But let's say um, it's raining cats and dogs. Dog is, uh, in that case, it's a sign for something else. Uh, and that sign for something else is a copious amount of rain. So the first level, or you could think about this as uh, first level and second level. So in those words, the first level of signification is uh, from the word dog is that animal dog, the thing dog existing in reality. But another way in which we can signify is through the thing signified by the words. So dog itself might be um, a sig have significance for something else. Or if we go back to stop sign, we have the word stop sign down here. First mode of signification up here is just a, uh, a metal thing in reality. But the metal thing in reality serves as a sign of something else or stopping. Uh, that's, that's, that would be the second level of signification. So the first level of signification is going to be the, the literal sense. So if we think of stop sign, the literal sense of the word stop sign is going to be the metal thing in reality. But since that metal thing in reality can also be a sign for something else, then in the allegorical sense of stop sign, it's going to be stopping. But uh, again, this is from uh, this is an analogy. So don't take this too strictly. And this is peculiar to sacred scripture and no other writings, since its author is God, in whose power it lies not only to employ words to signify, which man can also do, but things as well. So right here, we're going to see that scripture is the, the only thing by which it has this power to uh, simultaneously have words which signify things, and then also which employs those things to signify other things. But you may be thinking of an objection right now. Well, uh, well, Christian, this doesn't sound too right, because in your analogy that you just had, you would have something, uh, the stop sign, which is not only a word signifying the metal thing in reality, but obviously if you use the word stop sign, that would signify a second level. But the way in which I would respond is St. Thomas isn't uh, using this too strictly. St. Thomas isn't being very, uh, very clear right here, unfortunately, as it may be. He's a little bit more, more clear in uh, Quod Libel, Libet um, 7, and I think uh, question 5. I think that's where he gets into this question, and then articles 1 through 3, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm sorry if I forget. Uh, but he gets in, goes into more detail about this. The reason that these two are different is that when we have signs like stop signs, or let's say we use um, an idiom where uh, cats and dogs become signs for something else or copious amounts of rain uh, with, with the cats and dogs becoming sign for something else. We're not really creating signs. What we're doing is we're appropriating. So we're taking something in reality, um, metal and some paint and a stick of wood, and we're appropriating those things which were already created in order to create what's called an, an artificial sign. We're, we're, in, we're giving it some sort of secondary significance from its original purpose. 
But when God signifies in sacred scripture, it's something different. In our example here with, with Sarah and Hagar, Sarah and Hagar were created um, fundamentally in their creation at, as signs. God didn't create Sarah and Hagar and then later said, you know what, this would be a really cool illustration in Paul's epistle to the Galatians. So I think I'm going to take what I already created and I'm going to appropriate that. In, in a secondary sort of way into uh, into certain signs, which will represent the new covenant. This is such a great idea. I'm so glad I came up with it. No, God forms these signs. It wasn't in the mind of Paul looking back to say, oh, well, uh, wow, look at this cool illustration from the Old Testament. I guess I'm going to bring it up. No, Paul was discovering something that already existed. Um, that, that signage, that signification of Sarah and Hagar as signifying um, the Christians and then the Jews. That was something which pre-existed. That was something which was from their very existence, that they were formed as signs of something else. So I hope that's helpful in understanding that from Thomas. So consequently, in the other sciences handed out by men, in which only words can be employed to signify, the words alone signify. But it is peculiar to scripture that words and the very things signified by them signify something. Consequently, this science can have many senses. But that signification by which the word signifies something pertains to the literal historical sense. So again, um, that metal thing existing in reality, the, the from the word stop sign, that's the literal sense. That secondary signification of stopping, that would be the allegorical sense. Uh, but the signification whereby the things signified by the words further signify other things pertains to the mystical sense. And then the, uh, the sensum mysticum, that's just another word for the allegorical sense. So I don't want you guys to get confused with these categories because Thomas kind of uh, jumps back and forth. Okay, so now he's going to divide further. So we have these two uh, genera or categories. We have this genus of um, the literal sense, and then we have this genus of the allegorical sense. We've kind of established the the ways in which both of them work. But St. Thomas goes further, and he's going to have these um, what are called species or uh, certain examples within these categories, uh, these, ge these genera that he's already established. So he, first he's going to get into the literal sense. So there are two ways in which something can be signified by the literal sense, either according to the usual construction, as when I say a man smiles, or according to a likeness or metaphor, as when I say the meadow smiles. So right here, we have two different species within the genus that is the literal sense. So when we use words, sometimes we're using them straightforward. Like when I say that uh, I am a man, I am a and man are all used according to their straightforward construction. But if I'm saying uh, it's raining cats and dogs, cats and dogs aren't in their uh, normal sense. They're used in a certain uh, metaphor or simile. It, well, technically, it's an idiomatic sense. Now, I'm using it according to an idiom or... Um, I don't, I don't even, I, I, for some reason, I can't think of similes and metaphors right now. Sorry about that, but <laughs> can't think of examples of that. Um, strong like an ox. There you go. That'd be a certain, uh, certain simile. I am uh, appropriating that uh, idea of oxness. I'm appropriating the strength. 
from the ox and, and, and I'm using that as a, as a sign in order to put on the person. So uh, the straightforward sense is, uh, is not only the literal sense, but there's also um, what's called the improper literal sense where there are certain metaphors and similes and idioms which are used in our language. And this is not an example of allegory. That is an example of the literal sense because we speak of it according to the letters or according to uh, the direct signification uh, given by the words. So uh, that that's a common misunderstanding. When there's when there's certain metaphors or similes which are used in scripture, this isn't necessarily an example of the allegorical sense. This was a Jesuitical error, um, especially put forward by Saint Robert Bellarmine. Is he uh, misunderstood what the literal sense was? And Saint Bellarmine said that it was. Um, only according to the bare uh, words, where actually in the literal sense, there's two species, one of the bare signification of the words, and another according to those uh, various similes and metaphors and idioms, those uh, figures of speech, which we use in our normal day-to-day -day language. So both of these are used in sacred scripture. So he's going to give us a good example. As in when we say, according to the first, that Jesus ascended. So Jesus ascended. Jesus whoop, went up to heaven. That is according to um, the proper literal sense. We're just speaking according it to uh, this, according to the bare signification of the words. And when we say according to the second, that he sits at the right hand of God. So this second example, that he sits at the right hand of God, this is not the proper uh, literal sense. This is actually the improper literal sense. There's something different going on here in the second case than went on in the first case. In the first case, we were jesus ascending that's pretty that's just according to natural uses of language that's according how it normally is when we say that he sits at the right hand of god obviously something is going on here because god the father does not have a right hand and he's not uh he he doesn't have this circumscribed presence as um as we would describe it. So when we talk about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father, obviously uh, it isn't some idea of God having a right hand in which Jesus is, uh, is now sitting down to there. There's something more going on here. There's a, there's a figure of speech going on here. And by right hand of God, that's usually a figure, which is signifying um, divine power. That's, that's what's more so going on here. So therefore, under the literal sense is included the parabolic or metaphorical. So I call it the improper literal sense, uh, but other people call it the metaphorical sense or the parabolic sense. But um, yeah, so now he's going to go in it a little bit further with when it comes to that second genus that we talked about, the the second of the two genera. Uh, we already went over the literal sense and the, and the two species that may be under there. But now we need to go over the, the spiritual sense and then the three species under there. So, however, the mystical or spiritual sense or allegorical sense, again, there's like a million words which are used in the tradition for this, is divided into three types. So rather than two species like we had before, there's three species to the allegorical sense. So first is when the apostle says the old law is a figure of the new law. Hence, insofar as things of the old law signify those of the new law is the allegorical sense. So properly speaking, when we talk about the allegorical sense, um, that is one of those species under the spiritual sense, or that can be also spoken of as the allegorical sense. And I'm sorry, this is so complicated because there's so much different language, which is being used here. So allegorical sense is a, uh, 
very restricted in its application. It is just talking about when those words, well, those uh, those things uh, signified by words are uh, themselves signifying things in the new law. So, for example, with our uh, when you have uh, Sarah, let's Sarah and Hagar, uh, those are people in the Old Testament, which are signified by words. So that on, on the um, on the plane of the literal sense, you have these people interacting with one another named Sarah and Hagar, which are signified by words in the Old Testament. But going another level, you also have these people are signifying uh, new covenant realities from the Old Covenant. Um, and then, then uh, when they, as they signify um, uh, Jerusalem, and then the earthly Jerusalem, and then heavenly Jerusalem, they that that is the allegorical sense. Or uh, a better example is, um, and this might be a little bit more comfortable for my Protestant followers and uh, the Protestant listeners out there, is think about the Paschal Lamb in its in its literal sense when we're reading the old testament and it talks about the paschal lamb lamb having none of its bones broken that according to its literal sense is is just a lamb which doesn't have its bones broken but if we're thinking um in accordance with the spiritual sense or specifically the allegorical sense then it's going to uh at least the way in which the fathers read it it's going to be um a something which is signifying it the new covenant reality of Christ's um, union of person that the divinity and the humanity are not broken apart or it, as you get in normal preaching on this is the fact that Jesus Christ at the cross did not have um, his physical bones broken within him so either of those work but that sort of illustrates exactly what the allegorical sense is so we're going to have a second species. So then according to Dionysius in the book On the Heavenly Hierarchy, the new law is a figure of future glory. According insofar as things in the new law and in Christ signify those which are in heaven, it is the anagogical sense. So we're going to have uh, just like, well, in a similar way, as the old covenant points to the new covenant. So as you read constantly throughout Hebrews. You're going to read this all the time in Hebrews. So also do those new uh, Testament realities point forward to those celestial or heavenly realities. And I'm trying to think of an example of this. Oh, Mount Tabor. Let's think of the uh, the transfiguration. The The words speaking about the transfiguration you have down here. And then the concepts, which are signified by the, those words, are right up here. The um, the disciples seeing the light of Christ um, in his glory. And then that itself, in contemplating that, that itself has been formed as a sign, which signifies a heavenly reality, which is the beatific vision. So that's a good example. And notice I'm always making this three-tiered for you guys. So you can understand that a, a very important principle, and uh, he gets into this in other writings, um, in his Incententium Prologue, uh, Article 5, I think. I'd have to check on that. Um, it's somewhere in there. If you, But it's all, it's in Latin. Like 90% of you guys can't read it, so <laughs> I, won't, I won't reference it. Um, I think I referenced it in the last video, maybe. I think I posted a bit of a translation of the relevant section. 
So uh, the I'm doing this three-tiered um, understanding so you guys can understand that the allegorical sense is based on the literal sense. That when it comes to those things which are signified by the words, that is the literal sense, they are signs which point to the allegorical sense. You cannot get to the allegorical sense without passing through the literal sense because the literal sense is a foundation for the allegorical sense in much in the same way as the words are foundation for the literal sense. Okay. And then furthermore, in the new law, the things performed by the head are examples of things we ought to do because whatever things were written were written for our learning. Accordingly, in so far as the things which in the new law were done in Christ and done in things that signify Christ are signs of things we ought to do. It is the moral sense. So this is probably the easiest. Um, actually, typology is pretty easy. Because uh, generally speaking, Protestants will call the uh, allegorical sense uh, generally typology. This is probably one of the easiest things to swallow, even if you're not really into typology. Romans 5, 3, whatever things were written were written for our learning. So traditionally, uh, this verse in Romans, we're taking, uh, it was taken in the sense that really whatever Jesus did in the Gospels, and this is why the Gospels are some of the richest um areas in the whole Bible for uh, traditional commentators when it comes to finding the the spiritual sense in Scripture. Whatever Christ does in his actions um, or whatever those people, um, such as the apostles who represent Christ, are doing, or uh, Job, who also is representative of Christ, whatever their uh representing uh represents actions which we ought to do so uh, because they're signifying christ our head as examples we ought to do that's a pretty easy one to understand most of us pretty intuitively understand that that when when christ does something it's usually uh signifying something which we ought to do so uh let's go right here so examples will clarify each of these these are the examples that thomas gives for when i say let there be light so from Genesis 1, let there be light, referring literally to the corporeal light in its literal sense. So, boom, right down here, we'll, we'll have a final wrap-up here. So, uh, let there be light, this is the, uh, the proper literal sense. There's no uh, sort of idiomatic phrase or anything like that, and let there be light. Uh, I don't know, maybe the evolutionists will invent one, one of these days for that. I don't know what else they're going to deny out of the future, first few chapters of Gen... I, oh, yeah, this is also very important when it comes to that debate. As you can see right here, that uh, that it's pretty hard to uh, to hold some of the uh, some of the evo uh, the theistic evolutionist positions right here. You have to do serious um, damage to the literal sense because it'd be pretty hard to argue that they're the improper literal sense. But uh, we'll get that later. Actually, I, I might just make a whole video about that. That would be interesting. Maybe I'll talk to Gideon about that. So when it comes to let there be light in its literal sense, right down here, you have the words, let there be light. In level two, the literal sense, you have uh, the, the uh, thing out there in the world of corporeal light coming into being. That's what you have. Okay. But so now we're going to get into that other layer but the coming into being of corporeal light what has that been established as a sign for so but if we but if it be taken to mean let christ be born in the church it pertains to the allegorical sense 
So right here, that old covenant reality referring to something new covenant, that would be the light uh, coming into being would really be the incarnation. Light coming into being, incarnation. That light coming into being is the uh, itself a sign for the incarnation, Christ being born. So, but if one says, let there be light, i.e. let us be conducted to glory through Christ, it pertains to the anagogical sense. So now the, uh, the coming into being of corporeal light itself is a sign of our illumination into the mysteries of Christ. So there you go. That's the anagogical sense. And finally, if it said, let there be light, i.e. let us be illumined in mind and inflamed in heart through Christ, it pertains to the moral sense. So this exhortatory uh, sort of way of going about things. So let us be illuminated into the mysteries of Christ, which is a bit different than uh, us being illuminated to the mysteries of Christ. But let us be further illuminated through, uh, through the partaking of the sacraments, through the reading of sacred scripture, through prayer. That would, be, I'd, uh, that would itself be assigned uh, to the moral sense. So that is all I have. And I probably have rambled on long enough. Oh, it's only been 30 minutes. Giving you guys short ones recently. So thank you for showing up. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share with your friends if you enjoyed it. Share it on social media. Get the word out and hit that bell button and become a patron. And uh, absolutely carpet bomb that subscribe button. And do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory.